Hey, Cal Prairie, this is Pastor Chris, and I would like to welcome you guys to our online service. We are continuing our message series entitled Challenge Accepted, a message series on the book of Leviticus. And that's what we've been taking a look at, the book of Leviticus, which is very challenging. If you've ever tried to read through the Bible before, you've probably had that experience where you went through Genesis, you went through Exodus, and for the most part, they're pretty exciting. There's a lot of good stuff in there. There's a few rough patches, but they didn't last long and things were good. But then you turn the page and you hit Leviticus. And it is law after law after law. And, and they're crazy laws. In fact, a few years ago, um, a buddy of mine, we kind of have a weird sense of humor, and we decided to, to have some fun. We both had the Bible app on our phone, the version app, and the version app has this cool little feature where you can find a verse and you can highlight it, uh, and then you can turn it into an image. You can choose a background and a font, and then it just turns into a, an Instagrammable picture that you can send out and send to your friends. And so we did that. But what we did is we went through and we found all those crazy laws, those weird rules of the Old Testament, and we would use those to create these like quote-worthy images, these pictures that we would send to one another. Uh, what I didn't realize is that in the YouVersion Bible app, there's a news feed. And every time you create an image, it shares it with all of your friends. And so for like a couple weeks straight, everybody I knew thought that I had lost my mind. It was just reading the most obscure, sometimes obscene parts of scripture and turning them into images. Yeah, all that to say there is some crazy weird stuff in here. You know, when it comes to the laws, I at one time compared it to uh, a middle school lock-in. And when you're trying to give just a simple rule to everybody, there's always that one kid. And so you're like, hey, you guys can't, you can't leave this room. You got to stay in this room. That's the rule. And then that kid's always like, well, what if I got to go to the bathroom? So you're like, all right, you got to stay in this room unless you've got to go to the bathroom. And then he's like, well, what if you don't have to go to the bathroom, but you need to go into the bathroom to brush your teeth or get ready for bed? So you're like, all right, well, you have to stay in this room unless you need to go to the bathroom or you're going to go into the bathroom to brush your teeth. Then that kid is like, well, what if I forgot my toothbrush in the car? You're like, all right, you gotta stay in this room unless you're gonna go to the bathroom or go into the bathroom to brush your teeth or go out to your car to get the toothbrush to go into the bathroom to brush your teeth. You're like, well, what if I forgot my toothbrush and I have to call my mom? And you're like, you do the whole thing again. What if I don't have reception in this room? Can I leave the room to call my mom? And by the time you're done, what turned, what started out as a simple rule has turned into this thing with like 19 asterisks after it and footnotes all over the place. And it's so complicated. And sometimes I feel like that's what we got in the Old Testament. Like God was like, here are 10 pretty simple, straightforward rules to how to be a good human and do okay. And then all of a sudden, God's people were like, huh, well, I understand keeping the Sabbath, but what if my donkey falls into a ditch? And God just starts adding disclaimer after disclaimer after disclaimer until you get the 613 laws that we find in the Hebrew Bible. And the problem is, is that as modern readers, we come across these laws and we just 
We don't know what to do with them. So we oftentimes find ourselves skipping over books like the book of Leviticus. And my worry is that maybe there's some stuff in there that we need. Maybe there are some challenges we need to accept. And so today, what I want to do is I want us to, well, talk a little bit about Leviticus and the laws and how we can determine which laws to follow or not follow. And then I want us to dive into one of the chapters in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, and like take a look at some of those laws and ask how they might apply to our world today. Now, as we get started, as we talk about Leviticus and we try to determine what laws we should still follow, I think that there are kind of two things that we need to talk about first. One is when was Leviticus written and why? And two is something I like to call the moral trajectory of Scripture. But let's start out with that first one of when Leviticus was written and why. Now, there are kind of two trains of thought in the scholarly world on this. There are some scholars that believe that these words were penned by the hand of Moses. And it says that in there. In the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, it says that they were authored by Moses. And so those who hold to a very literal understanding of that believe that the book of Leviticus was probably written around 1450 BCE. Now, I tend to disagree with that. And the reason is, uh, I think that we hear the word author and we interpret that through our modern lens. See, we live in a world where the printing press has existed for 500 years where most of us from a very early age know how to read and write. Uh, we are constantly sending emails and posting things online. We are authoring things all the time. And, and our modern understanding of that word author means that word for word, I put it down on paper or on the screen. But that's not the world that they lived in. And so many times to author something was to come up with those words, but those words were passed on through different ways. Most normally through oral tradition, through campfire stories. Uh, these are the things that the elders told their kids, who told their kids, who told their kids, who told their kids. And they were passed on through oral tradition or campfire stories. And I think that's what we have here, that these are the stories, the laws that, yes, came from the mouth of Moses, but were passed on for generation after generation. Until finally we get to this point right after the exile. Now, the exile was this critical moment in Israel's history where another nation, Babylon, went into their country and took the people and took them as prisoner back to their country. It's known as the Babylonian exile. And as God's people lived in exile, they began to integrate into that culture. They began to marry into those families and adopt those traditions. And over time, they started to lose their own traditions and their own stories. And so by the time they get out of exile and they return to Israel, their heritage is very diluted. Um, it had faded away. And the people themselves 
were trying to survive. There weren't many of them left. A lot of people stayed behind in Babylon. They had married into families there and didn't want to return. And so those who did return, they were a people who were trying to figure out how to survive. And uh, I think that's when their religious leaders got together and said, we need to start writing this stuff down to make sure that it's preserved that these new generations can hear these traditions and stories. And so they started to do that. But there's something interesting that happens. Whether we want to admit it or not, every time we go to tell a story, we have a little bit of an agenda. We know most of the time our audience, and we're going to tell that story in a way that connects with that audience. And and sometimes we're doing it for a very specific reason. Imagine yourself as a parent and you have a child who has just started to lie. Well, as you lay down for bed that night and you go to read your good night story, you might read to them the boy who cried wolf. And as you read it, you might stress those parts of the story about truthfulness and honesty. Why? Because you had a little bit of an agenda in telling that story. You knew your audience and you wanted to tell it in a way that impacted them. We do this with every story we tell, even from our own lives. We think about who we're telling it to and we make adjustments and emphasize certain things and de-emphasize other things. And I think that the writers, the, the scribes that were collecting these Traditions and stories did the same thing. And who is their audience? It's a group of people trying to survive. And so sometimes we will come across a law that makes very little sense to us today. For example, don't eat pork. Don't eat shellfish. Don't get a tattoo. Now, we wonder why, but... If you think about it in the context of a group of people that's trying to survive, back then, pork and shellfish were riddled with bacteria and disease, and people who ate them often became sick and died. And when you're on the brink of extinction, you you need to not die. Or take, for example, the tattoos. Well, their tattoo parlors weren't as clean as ours now, and they often led to infection, and that led to complications, and those complications sometimes led to death. And once again, we're trying to avoid death. We're trying to survive. And you see that with the reproductive laws. Many of them are based around the idea that we need to rebuild our people. We need more people. We'll get into that a little more next week. But what you see in this here is a bunch of laws that are about survival. And in our modern context, we don't always understand it. We don't know why can't they eat barbecue and have lobster tail? I don't get it. Well, it's because it was applying to that original audience. It had an impact on them that it doesn't have on us. And so some of those laws I think we can skip over because they don't have the same purpose that they did when they were being written. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is is this thing I like to call the moral trajectory. What do I mean by moral trajectory? What I want you to do is I want you to imagine, we're going to get a little nerdy here, a little math class here, but I want you to imagine a graph. 
with a horizontal and a vertical axis. Now along the horizontal axis is time, from the beginning of creation all the way up until now. And on the vertical axis is moral standards, the expectations for humanity. And I want you to imagine going through the Bible and every time you see a passage where God gives the people a moral standard and expectation, you put a dot at that time and how high up that moral standard is, how high that expectation is. And I want you to imagine going through the whole Bible and doing that and then looking at that graph when you were done. Now, there are some people out there that would argue that what you would have is a straight line, that all the dots would connect in a straight line because the standards don't change. The same standards you see in the Old Testament are the same standards you see in the New Testament. But I disagree with that. I think the standards, the expectations change, not because God changes, but because God is our Heavenly Father. And what a parent does with their children is that they increase the standards and expectations as they grow older. The moral standards that I put on a two-year-old are different than the moral standards I put on a 32-year-old. And I think that God, as he walked his children through history, continued to increase the moral standard and expectations as they went along. And we see some examples of this in the Bible. Well, through Moses, God told the people, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, at its time, that was revolutionary because you had people killing people for any reason whatsoever. Uh, you might have somebody step on your tulips, so you murder them. And it didn't take long for that to create chaos. So in an attempt to bring some order to that chaos, God gives this law through Moses, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, the crime must fit the punishment, and the punishment must fit the crime. They, they need to be of equal value. If somebody takes your eye, you can take their eye. If they take your tooth, you can take their tooth. So that was the standard. That was the expectation. So we put that on our graph. But by the time Jesus shows up and gets up to preach his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he actually refers to that very thing. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't even engage in violence with them. Now, if you ask me, that dot is quite a bit higher. And if you were to connect those dots, what you have is an upward trajectory a moral trajectory. And I think you see this time and time again in the Bible as you move along, where God is increasing his expectations. In fact, I would even argue that it continues after the last page of the Bible. A good example of this would be the treatment of women. Even in Leviticus 19 that we're going to take a look at here in a moment, there's a, a verse, uh, verse, we'll see where it is here, 29 that I find very appalling. Here's what it says. Do not defile your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will be filled with prostitution and wickedness. Now, as the father of a daughter, it is appalling 
that there needs to be a command, a law in the Bible, not to sell your daughter for sex. Like, that's crazy. But that's where they were at that time. But by the time we get to Jesus, women are being included in the disciples. They're traveling with Jesus. By the time we get to Paul, they're helping plant churches and serving in leadership roles. Still not always considered equal as men, but moving up on the trajectory. And then we go through history until women earn the right to vote. Now we have a a woman serving in the White House. The trajectory has continued. It's not there yet. Just look at men and women's salaries and you'll see that's the case. But we are moving in an upward trajectory. The, the moral trajectory keeps on going. God keeps increasing his expectations on humanity, wanting us to be better and better. And I think we see that in the Bible. And when we take that to Leviticus, sometimes we're going to read a law like the one I just read that is very early on in that trajectory. And so to us now, it it feels crazy or weird because we've progressed beyond that. God has raised the expectations. But if you ever come across a law and it, it still seems like a challenge, like the trajectory hasn't moved all that much and actually living out these words would be difficult even today, then I think maybe we should pay attention to them. We should take a closer look at them. Now, sometimes they may still not apply. And so I think there's another standard I want to give you guys, a little tip as you approach the laws that you're going to find in Leviticus to to answer the question, should I be living out this law? And uh, that's going to come from my grandpa. Now, I've told you guys about my grandpa before, but my grandpa had a phrase, three words that have changed my life that I've shared with some of you before. They are three words that are engraved on the cover of my Bible and will soon be tattooed on my forearm. They were his three last words to me in an email before he unexpectedly passed away when I was in college. See, when I felt a call in the ministry, he was so excited. And any time that I was going to preach or teach, he would call me or message me, and uh, he would always tell me, instead of give him hell, In true Baptist fashion, he would tell me to give give them heaven. To give them heaven. And those words have gone on to define my ministry, my faith. Sometimes Christians get so obsessed with getting people to heaven that they forget to get heaven to people. And yet every week, Capri, we sit here and we pray the same prayer together. And my favorite line in that prayer, which that feels kind of weird to say, but my favorite line in that prayer is this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, make earth more like heaven. Make earth more like the place God wants it to be. Or even if that sounds too complex, make the world better. And so as you read these laws, one of the things that you can do is you can stop and ask yourself, 
Does this law give them heaven? Does this law make earth more like heaven? Does it make earth more like the place God wants it to be? Or more simply put, does this law, does me living out this law, obeying it, make the world better? When it comes to not eating pork or not eating shellfish, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that really has an impact on the world around me. When it comes to me not getting a tattoo, does that really have an impact on the world around me? Not really. And I want to decorate my temple the way I want to. But some of these laws that we're going to talk about here in just a second, I think they give them heaven. I think they make earth more like heaven. I think they make the world better. And so what I want you to do is I want you to open your Bible or open your Bible app to Leviticus 19 as we take a look at just a few of these laws. Now, I want to do this. I want to dive into this chapter just to show you that I think some of these laws are as relevant today as they've ever been and could impact our world in a profound way if we lived them out. So we're just going to start. I'm going to jump around verses a little bit. I've got some of them highlighted here that really jumped out to me as verses that when I asked, do they give them heaven? The answer was a resounding yes. So I'm going to start with verse three. And here's what it says. Each of you must show great respect for your mother and father. And you must always observe my Sabbath days of rest. I am the Lord your God. Now, I want to pause for a second before I dive into the content of that. I love that it ends with this, I am the Lord your God. You are going to see that over and over. In fact, I counted 14 different times in chapter 19 that you're going to see that phrase. That phrase is God's version of a mother or father looking at their child and saying, because I told you so. Because I am your parent and I said this is the way it's going to be. That is what God is doing here. He is reminding these people that this law is important because I am the Lord your God. So when you see that, pay attention to what's going on here. So what is this first one? To obey your mother and father. Seems pretty simple. But I think that our world would be better if most kids would do that in most families. So that one's pretty simple. Now, this next one, I think, gets a little more challenging in verse 9. It says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field, and do not pick what the harvesters drop. In the same way with your grape crop, do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Now, I love what he's saying there. Now, he's saying that when you, when you tend to your fields or your vineyards, leave a little extra behind for the poor and the foreigner in that area. Now, most of us aren't farmers. Most of us don't own a vineyard. And so this isn't a literal passage for us. But most of us work. Most of us have some sort of an income. And here is this text in Leviticus 19 that tells us, do not push that income to the very borders of your property. 
but leave a little extra for the others. You know, I think about our own country. And one of the things that we've watched happen over the last 30 to 40 years is that we've seen CEO wages and bonuses skyrocket while the average worker's wage has stayed pretty close to the same. And this has, in many ways, killed the middle class. And I have to wonder, what would happen in our economy if more of the leaders read this and said, you know what, I don't need to push the profits to the limit, but maybe I can leave a little for those below, for those in need, for the other workers out there. What would happen to our world if more business leaders had that mentality? Well, I think that earth would be a little more like heaven, that our economy would be living a little closer to God's expectations. I love that challenge that's there. We keep going. Verse 14, do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Now, I love that there. Because I think that that is extremely profound, even for today. What is he saying? He's saying that uh, you should care for the disabled among you. You should make sure that there's nothing in their way that would cause them to stumble or for you to speak poorly of them. And if you talk to anybody who works in the world of disability or deals with the disability themselves, they will tell you that we are not living up to that standard yet. That there are still places all over, even in our modern culture, where they feel excluded, where they are caused to stumble or where they are spoken poorly of. I think that God is still calling us to live out that expectation. And we try here at Call Pray. We're not there yet, but it's the reason that we have Anne on staff with our special needs ministry. Why we do the inclusive Santa or the Easter egg hunt or the other events that we put on here. It's because we want to look for ways to take care of those who have disabilities and make sure that they're included. And that challenge started in Leviticus. Isn't that crazy? See, that is why I think we still need to be reading this book, because there are still laws that we need to be living out. It goes on, it says, Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. In other words, do not treat people differently based on their economic status. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we still have a problem with that. Click the heart button if you've ever felt judged because of your economic status. Maybe you were richer than everybody else in the room, or maybe you were poorer than everybody else in the room, but for whatever reason there was judgment there, or you were treated differently, or maybe you even caught yourself treating somebody else differently. How often do we see in our own legal system where people are treated differently based on their level of income? I think that once again, this is a, a challenge that we are still trying to live out. 
It goes on in verse 17, do not nurse hatred in your heart for your relatives. Confront people directly so that you will not be held guilty for their sin. We live in a world full of gossip and we have a bunch of people like myself that are scared of confrontation and here Leviticus is setting an expectation that is still a challenge today to not hate any of your relatives, but to confront people directly. We're going to jump ahead to verse 30 here. Keep my Sabbath days of rest and show reverence towards my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Quick poll, click the heart button. If you are tired, if you are freaking tired, yeah, I think that most of us could click the heart button right now. We are all exhausted. We've been going through a pandemic for almost two years and we are worn out. And here God is reminding us, you're supposed to take Sabbath. You're supposed to have rest in your life. You're supposed to practice self-care in your life. And yet we aren't and we are tired. It is still a challenge for us today. Yet, if we lived it out, I think that earth would be more like heaven. Verse 32. Stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the aged. Fear your God, I am the Lord. I think that my generation and younger generations need to take a look at our elders and try to respect them. Try to listen to them, to take in their experiences. Something so basic, yet so relevant even now. We go on. Verse 33. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I don't know if you've been paying attention in our own country for the past several years, but I don't think that we've always lived out this verse. Sometimes I think we abuse those who are willing to work for lower labor cost. We take advantage of those that we consider outsiders. And here's a passage that is telling us that we are supposed to treat everyone equally with respect and dignity and would our country would our world be more like God wants it to be if we loved everybody no matter where they were from with the same amount of love with the same amount of respect with the same amount of dignity I believe the answer is a resounding yes and then he finishes it up here. Verse 35, do not use dishonored standards when measuring length, weight, or volume. Use scales and weights. They must be accurate. Your containers for measuring dry materials or liquids must be accurate. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, I don't know if we have a problem with that as much literally now. But I think that we live in an economy where a dollar is not always a dollar, where money is invented and stocks are traded and systems are manipulated. And some people's tax dollars go a lot further than other people's tax dollars. And when people are doing business, 
doesn't always feel like someone's getting a fair deal. Sometimes it feels like others are being taken advantage of. In fact, click the heart button. If you've ever done business with someone and you felt like you paid a different rate than somebody else, or you were treated differently than other customers, or you were taken advantage of. What if our business owners today took this to heart and said the standards that we use are gonna be equal across the board no matter who it is, and we're gonna be honest about all of our dealings? I think we would give them heaven. I think the earth would look more like heaven. See, I think by living out those laws that have a yes answer to does it make the world better, I think that, well, it makes the world better. And so I think it's important for us to read books like Leviticus so that we can find those laws that we still need to be living out today and calling our Christian brothers and sisters to also be living out today. I want to wrap up by saying this. This past Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. This is a day close to my heart. As many of you know, I'm a part of the American Baptist tradition, and so was MLK. And his faith drove him to fight for a world that was better. He challenged those around him in a way that others did not. I would consider him a modern-day prophet whose prophecies still ring true today and whose challenges are still worth taking up. And he has this great quote where he says, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. In other words, there's a trajectory to the moral standard that we see. And I think that if we begin to take what God is telling us seriously, and we begin to live out the laws that make the world better, that make the world more like God wants it to be, that make earth more like heaven, that give them heaven, then the world becomes a more just place. It becomes a world full of more peace. A world that's closer to God. And I think that's what MLK wanted to see, and I think it's what we should also want to see. A more just, more peaceful world. An earth that looks more like heaven. And so that, that is my challenge to us. That we open up the book of Leviticus, that we read it, we come across the challenges, and we say challenge accepted. Thanks for joining us today.